Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 88 of the Australian Hiker podcast, and in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the Great South Coast Walk. We hope you enjoy. Australia has a number of well-known long-distance hiking trails, and we discussed most of these in episode 64 of the Australian Hiker podcast. In today's episode, we're going to go through and showcase a walk that most hikers wouldn't be aware exists, and that's the Great South Coast Walk. The Great South Coast Walk links a number of existing trails, stretching from Bundina on the outskirts of Sydney, and runs 660 kilometres southwards to Mallacoota, just over the Victorian border. The walk itself takes in a variety of landscapes, including beaches and 12 national parks in total. Today we are lucky enough to have David Breeze, the Steering Committee Convener for the Great South Coast Walk, to tell us all about it. So I'd just like to welcome David to the Australian Hiker Podcast. Thank you, Tim. All right. I One of the things when I was going through and setting up this, uh, this podcast, I was thinking about it. I'd seen this walk uh, on your website uh, probably about a year ago and, and thought that I must go through and, um, and, and make contact at some point. And probably for me, um, and I think for a lot of other people who are into into hiking, this is probably the the greatest Australian walk that most people have probably never heard of. And I think it's probably one of those things that uh, uh, for a lot of people, they they know the the tracks that are set up, the Bibbleman, the Hyson, the Alpine walking track. Um, but from this one, you were saying to me, it's not actually a track, it's a, it's a walk. Now, what do you mean by that? What, what we mean by that is that the Great South Coast Walk is meant to be an experience, not an actual track. It connects a number of tracks that actually exist on the South Coast already. All of these have their own identity, and they deservedly so. And we don't want to take that away from them. We want to sort of add to the process by combining all these tracks and creating something greater than the sum of its parts. Okay, and that's that's probably a good uh, good way to describe it. So you know, if you if you do searches for the, the Great South Coast Walk, you'll come up with um, the website that David's involved with on there. Uh, but you're not going to come up with dozens of, of different you know, guidebooks on the Great South Coast Track because, as David said, it's it's a walk which combines a series of of individual uh, tracks. Now, what's your role with the Great South Coast Walk? Well, I convene a steering committee that are trying to promote it to raise awareness of the of the walk, uh, and also to encourage perhaps the uh, tourism bodies to to take an interest in it because we think it really stands up well when compared with some of the long distance walking trails around the world, and I think it would become a major attraction both for the south coast and also uh, bringing more tourism into Australia. Okay, um, so. Um uh, where does the walk start and where does it finish? Is there a, a starting and a finishing point or are there other options? No, there's a definite starting point and that's Bundina, which is just on the other side of Port, ha- Port Hacking from Cronulla. So it's uh, 
quite a good symbolic starting point because you catch the ferry from Cronulla, the city is behind you. As soon as you're on the other side, you're into the bush and you're away, so you leave civilization behind for a long time. And, and you recommend starting from Bundina as opposed to starting from Malakuta at the other end, or is it can, could you go either way? Uh, you could go either way, but uh, apart from the fact that I like to keep the sun at my back, uh, walking north-south is, is the best way because uh, you're starting in the more developed parts of the walk, and down further down the south coast, you're really into wilderness. So that if you do the entire walk by the time, and you're not a particularly seasoned walk to start with, by the time you finish, you will be, and you'll really be able to appreciate and enjoy the challenge of uh, walking in wilderness. All right, now that's good. I, I must admit, for a number of the the well known tracks, I mean, as an example, the Larapenta Trail, it was designed to be walked from Alice Springs to Mount Sonder, but I think more and more people are doing it from the other direction. But it sounds like with this one, there's a valid reason from starting in the north and heading south. Um, yes, it, does, it doesn't It does stop you doing it the other way. It's just you might need to adjust your peak of your cap a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, now, since the trail, now, when was the trail first conceived? I mean, where did, where, what, what's the bit of the history behind the trail? Well, the, the, the whole area of the south coast has been inhabited by Aboriginal peoples for 20,000 years or more. And they had a system of trails up and down the coast for trade and ceremonial purposes. But the European history starts in 1797 when the Sydney Cove was shipwrecked on the Bass Strait Islands and a group of people decided the only way to get back to Sydney was to cross over into Victoria and walk. So 20 of them started walking up that section of the coast. Uh, three survived. Uh, so they were the first walkers. It's a lot easier now. <laughs> we have not many people disappear on the track at all these days. But uh, in 1997, a group of scouts did a relay. They repeated that walk of a bicentenary uh, process. And uh, But that was a relay. It wasn't individuals walking the whole length of the track. Our experience started in 14 years ago. I was working as a research scientist at the time and I took uh, a redundancy package and I wanted something to do to put work life behind and to say the future is very different. So my wife and I decided we'd catch the bus down to Sydney and start walking. And over three months, we walked down the, the route of the, the Great South Coast Walk as we set out, we didn't really know whether it was feasible or not. Uh, we had our topo maps, so we had a GPS, and we had local knowledge. We talked to fishermen and that, so we found that by linking uh, known walking tracks with forestry trails, fishermen's tracks, and beach walking, lots of beach walking, which is one of the main features of the track, uh, it's, it's actually quite a feasible track. You can stay away from the roads, uh, and you have an incredible diversity of landscapes uh, and coastal villages that you go through. I think that's often the thing with a lot of these sort of tracks and trails that, um, the, you know, the well-established tracks, uh, and i give you an example of the Bibbleman, which I completed just recently, there are sections of road walking on there, and they're management roads, but not uh, not bitumen roads. But, you know, it, it's it's always interesting that you can you can string together a series of tracks and not have to do big distances on roads uh, and you know that's and that's probably a a sign that you know that the track was there to be to be done if someone just thought about doing it um so it, you know it sounds like it's a, it's quite a, a good uh, good track and i think talking to you earlier on you were saying that this is probably the longest um 
coastal walk in Australia? It would be. There are there are a couple other coastal walks. There's the Cape to Cape in Western Australia, which is a bit over 100 kilometres long, and a similar length, the Great Ocean Walk in Victoria. But uh, for our long-distance trails, we, we really don't have anything that stays on the coast, and the coast is a particularly special environment. I think uh, to, to have a walk like that would be a big plus for an Australian sort of walking community. And I think it would be a big attraction for international walkers as well because long-distance walking is just a, a rapid growth area at the moment. It is. And it, it, I must admit it surprises me. I mean, certainly the, the mecca of, of long-distance walking is the United States with all their big trails, but it, it's something that seems to be gaining in a moment, momentum in Australia. And we're starting to get a lot of uh, overseas tourists coming in and doing our long trails. Um, it provides, I don't know, I think it's always like it, the grass is greener on the other side. You always want to go somewhere else to see something different. And for me, certainly doing the American trails is I like that type of environment. So can't get it here, so I have to go overseas to do it. Yes, I think the the other thing with this particular walk is that it caters for a wider range of walkers. If you, say, walk the Heisen Trail or, or the Bibbulmun Track, uh, you really have to be a fairly experienced walker over much of the area. But this the, the Great South Coast Walk is dotted with coastal villages and there are lots of uh, campgrounds along the way. There, in fact, there's a whole range of accommodation. If you want to do the walk down and stay in B&Bs the whole way, you pro- could probably do that. But that said, that's, you're still getting the, the natural bush experience because you're walking through 12 national parks and you, you pop in and out of civilization and into the, into the wild. And that, I think that's a big feature of it. All right. So while we're, while we're on that topic, then we'll look at, uh, look at, go through and look at logistics. So um, as far as towns are concerned, um, if you want to go through and not have to d- drop off food or mail yourself food ahead, can you? is there enough towns that you can sort of drop in, buy four or five days worth of food and then keep on going? Or that, that, the, the longest you would need to carry food for is three days, and that's at the very end of the track. That's in the Nadji Wilderness area. Uh, apart from that, there are going to be places where you can stock up all along. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's very good from the infrastructure point of view, and that infrastructure already exists. There's no need to build new campsites or new tent sites or anything. They, they all exist along the way in various forms. And uh, so the option from what you were saying is you can either camp it, uh, you can uh, hotel it or B&B if you like, yes. Um uh, what's what do you find? I mean, if with when you did it, or from talking to other people, what do people tend to do? Is there a bit of a mixture? Or well, at at the moment, most people are through walkers, but they're taking various t- uh, times to do it. Yep. For example, my wife and I took three months, but then we found a place we liked. We stopped there. Uh, if it rained, we didn't walk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the the a few people have done it recently, and some of them have been doing it solo, and they've been quite quick through walkers i think the fastest is 20 days and that's that's really moving yeah uh others take longer but i think when when if the track becomes more popular there'll be a lot of stage walking people come down to a week at a time go back pick up where they took off from and do another week and that gives a lot of scope for small uh, 
enterprises to set up sort of servicing those type of walkers or setting up accommodation, day walk type situations. Now, I think looking at your website, from memory, there are 12 sections it's been set out on. Was that uh, right? 11. 11, 11 <laughs> sections. That's right. Uh, and I will actually go through and put the links to in the show notes to, to the website and the resources. So you can you can go through and have a look at that. Uh, you don't have to remember the, the website name. It'll be on there to look at. Yeah. Now, the sections are a bit arbitrary, but what I try to do is uh, split it into sections of three to four days uh, so that you could combine two and make a nice week's walk or a long weekend's walk. So that that's uh, the reason behind that, but I don't expect people will follow strictly the sections as written down there, but it, it makes it a lot easier to describe. No, I think, and I think as you say, if you know, there'll, there'll always be people who will do it as a through hike and do it in one go, whether that's over um, three weeks or three months, or there'll be people who will do a, a week a year and, and spread it over a period of years as they get time. So I think that sort of gives people a, a good choice and a good option depending on what their, their, their ability and their time frame is. And, and what we're actually finding at the moment is that uh, over the past year, a lot of the bushwalking clubs uh, who are do, do day walks in that area are actually promoting the South Coast walk concept in their day walks by saying we're, now we're going to do this section of it, whereas before it would probably be just going to walk from A to B. Uh, they're adding great South Coast walk-in. So the, the concept is gaining traction. So, they, so, so so again, over a period of a couple of years, you might be able to finish the whole walk exactly. just doing section by section. Okay. No, well, I think that's a good idea. Okay, so we'll go on to the walk itself. Starting in Bundina, I've, from memory, I don't think I've ever been to Bundina. I might have been, but it's it's not something that sticks in my mind. What what is Bundina? Is well, it is it a town or is it a, a suburb of Sydney? Or it's an honorary suburb of Sydney. In fact, it's a, a almost a village just on the, the opposite side of the the water from the urban Sydney, and yep. it's set in the Royal National Park. So it's a beautiful little village, but uh, you don't take many steps to be out of it and actually walking through. Royal National Park, and that's a magnificent introduction to the walk because you have the beautiful sandstone cliffs all the way down and heathland, and uh, and once you're out of the Royal National Park, you're into the Illawarra Escarpment area, which again is a different type of environment, and you're walking along the edge of the escarpment looking down on the coast. Uh, when you leave the escarpment, you've probably got the area that'll... Uh, make the most contra- contra- controversy for people. Uh, you have to cross Wollongong, which yep. is actually a, a major urban centre. But you do that via a set of bike paths, and it's act- and that follows the coast. You don't actually go into uh, the city itself if you don't want to. But it's actually quite interesting if you like looking in backyards, <laughs> at, which my wife does, yeah, and yep. seeing how people live. But the, there is another option. You can actually hire a bike, uh, and ride all the length of Wollongong very quickly and the people pick the bike up at the other end. Uh, some people might consider that uh, cheating, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm not such a purist. I think it's the experience that counts. All right. So um, how long does it actually take to get through the, the city of Wollongong itself? Uh, Wollongong uh, would take one and a half days to to walk through. Uh, you, you come down off the escarpment at Bulai, which is a fairly northern suburb, and if you like, you can stop in the centre of Wollongong and, and take in the urban scenes. I mean, uh, urban walking is, is not a bad thing to do. Uh, but if you are a fast walker, you would get down to Lake Illawarra on the south side and then be out of Wollongong. 
uh, very quickly. But that that's the only area that might be problematic as far as people would like to experience because it is an urban area. All right. So we, we leave Wollongong City and where to, where do we where are we heading to next on the on the trail? From, from Wollongong you get uh, into the Kayama Coast, which is actually a beautiful area. It's it's tra- mainly transformed landscapes because it used to be uh, timber forests, red yep. cedar forests, right down to the coast, and it was extensively logged and became dairy farms. But that provides a coastline very much like the English and European coastlines of grasslands down to beautiful cliffs. And here, again, the rocks have changed to basalt, so you've got a completely different landscape, and and it is a very beautiful one. Uh, Once you're through that area, uh, you're getting into the Shoalhaven, and this is where the Shoalhaven and Crookhaven rivers flow out into the sea. So, uh, again, the landscape is changing. It's becoming a lot more open. The the, the cliffs have disappeared by now and you've got long sandy stretches. You've got the, the, the river vegetation, which is, uh, again, uh, very different, but beautiful. And you've got your first big water crossing. And this is an interesting part about the whole walk is because there are a lot of water crossings. Uh, there's probably 30 lakes and rivers that flow into it. Many of those are barred. So you can actually just walk across the entrance. Uh, many of those are weightable, uh, which is interesting. Eight are classes problematic because you probably have to swim or <laughs> find a means of transport, and that's something we're doing at the moment. When Penny and I did the walk 14 years ago, we got lifts in a Zodiac by the local surf rescue people. We got lifts in oyster punts. Uh, we got lift with the local boat hire person, uh, and we use an air mattress on a couple. But uh, for... One of the things with the steering committee that the steering committee are doing is trying to arrange solutions, find solutions for these technical problems. And we have made arrangements now with a couple of oyster farmers. You ring them up a day or so ahead because they got busy lights too, yeah. and they'll take you across. So that sort of thing is slowly being solved as we speak. Now, is that that's a small fee? I'm assuming, is it? Uh, there would be a small <laughs> yeah, fee. Yeah. I think that uh, it's. Uh, cheaper than a taxi (laughs) a long way around but the other thing is if you're walking uh in stages what you can do is walk one stage finish on the north side of the water crossing come back start on the south side but for most people that's actually part of the adventure is actually crossing some of these uh these inlets and and rivers all right so so it sounds like it's you know it's not a not a, a walk in the park, but it, it, any any problems you come across are solvable uh, exactly. one way or another. You can so. choose a degree of adventure you like yep. with the water crossings. I must admit, I mean, doing doing my my Bibbulmun track trip just earlier, we had some major storms uh, both just before and as I was starting, and uh, some of the the you know the, the coastline had been destroyed by the weather conditions. So I think um, I think it's probably like anything that you, know, you you wouldn't possibly wouldn't want to do some of these crossings in in the middle of a storm. Yeah. Exactly, and um, you always check your tide charts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and trying to and reach the reach a lot of these things. So I think um, it is a matter of with this trip, by the sound of it, doing a bit of looking at particularly the water crossings where there are issues, and either arranging transport across or seeing whether you can cross through bars. Or um, and, and certainly, I think um, uh, there's enough information on your website that identifies what the issues tend to be. That, exactly, um, it uh, locates all the uh, water crossings and gives a bit of advice about each of them. All right. Um, now, in relation to um, 
Um, okay, so we've we've gotten down to the um, the Shoalhaven area. So where we where, uh, where, so we're starting to pre- press into Jarvis Bay area by this we, stage. We are, and and that's probably one of the more beautiful areas. I think Jar- Jarvis Bay is a magnificent uh, body of water surrounded by what is claimed to be the whitest sand in the world, <laughs> <laughs> and that and that takes you through some of the national parks. There's actually two national parks here, Jervis Bay National Park and uh, Budori National Park, which is in a little little enclave of the Australian Capital Territory. Now, in, with Jarvis Bay itself, so you're walking along the coastline, do you actually come up to the lighthouse on Point Perpendicular and then skirt around the bay, or are you cutting into the bay? No, you cut into the bay, uh, uh, deeper into the bay, uh, that Point perpendicular would be a long, uh, a long detour. detour. There, I mean, that's nothing to stop people from making any sort of detour or any variation to the the track that they want. But uh, the actual route on the website will lead you into the middle of the bay, following uh, a, a trail into there, and okay. then you walk on the beach around the bay. Yep, and uh, that. that uh, there's one little walk water crossing with the Huskisson River, but there's a ferry that regularly goes there, and it's only a very uh, narrow crossing as well. So people confident in the water can swim it, swim yep. that one. All right. Uh, okay, so we, we're leaving Jarvis Bay now, heading south. So we've um, we you know we're down south of Narrow by this stage. So we're starting. I'm just trying to think what the next town along through there is. The think. next would be Sussex Inlet. Yep. And again. Uh, Another of the more serious water crossings, but there's a, a boat hire place and repair place just on the other side, and you just phone him and he comes and gets you and takes you over. Uh, so from there, you're sort of starting to wander more along the beaches, which will take you down to Aladala would be the the next major town. You're crossing Lake Conjola, going through Conjola National Park, and you get to... Uh, the area of Aladal, and that's probably the one area where there's an interesting Aboriginal heritage trail where they've done a lot of carvings which explain their lives and that. But uh, I think that's a good point about this walk is that actually there are several areas along the way you can see uh, and learn a bit about the prehistory of the area or the, uh, the 20,000 years mm-hmm. before Europeans arrived. <laughs> Okay, so we're heading south from Ulladulla now, and now probably the next major town from there on is the Batemans Bay area, with a couple it of is. small small towns dotted in between. Now, you, with with uh, Batemans Bay, you're crossing over the, the the main bridge over the river there, are you? Or uh, you? We we will, but if I can just backtrack a yep. bit, because that section from Ulladulla to Batemans Bay takes you through Murramurring National Park, and yep. that is one of the highlights. It's a beautiful area, and. Uh, in actually, New South Wales Parks and Wildlife Service have just had a major grant to upgrade a lot of their tracks, and they are putting in new track work uh, for a walk through Maramaring National Park. And that we had one little problem area where, which was trackless, yeah, and yeah. this will solve that area. I'm I'm immensely yeah. glad to hear that. The uh, the one thing I, I absolutely loathe is ticks, and Maramaring <laughs> is really well known for that. So getting a form trail in there is will make me much happier yeah. for that sort of area. Yes, but then once we get there, we do actually cross the bridge. Yep. We walk across the bridge, and then you have uh, Batemans Bay, which is a fairly large coastal town now. It's sort of a holiday town, but and 
you can walk most of the mostly through it without actually seeing a lot of houses. Is yeah. the walks between the, the cliff line and the beaches and the houses uh, wedged between there. So, and in fact, the the Yerba Dallas Shire, who look after that area, are planning to create a Batemans Bay Headlands Walk, which will formalise the tracks that exist along that part of the world. Okay, so we're leaving Batemans Bay now. We're heading um, again through a lot of the towns or the town areas that dot along. You know, it's almost solid accommodation through a lot of the areas there. Yeah, now. It is. You're in and out of, uh, as I say, you're in and out of civilization and into the bush uh, quite quite frequently. So you don't feel that you're actually walking through uh, urbanized areas at all. You you get that feeling of isolation quite frequently while, while you're doing that. I think that's often the trick with designing good walking trails is to be close to civilization without feeling like you're in the middle of it. Exactly. So. All right, so we're leaving Batemans Bay now. We're heading down towards, a, again, a, a few smaller towns along the way, but the next major town from there is Maria. It is. Um, uh, and, again, we've got a, a river crossing there. We How are we getting across the, the river at Maria? Well, the Maria was a... a tricky one because the bridge is eight kilometers inland okay and that's not a walk you want to do so we've made an arrangement with the oyster grower at maria heads and again if you ring him up and give him a bit of notice he'll come and take you across at the heads so uh that that, that solves that problem there or else if you're doing a stage walk you just stop stop, stop. there go home and start the other side or, or, or else walk inland eight kilometers <laughs> or eight kilometers or call a taxi <laughs> yeah and then, then walk back out to the track again all right so we're heading south from from maria now uh heading to, uh, next on towards uh, the naruma and bermagui area is probably the next major towns in that area mm. Um, and again, is that mainly along the coastline? That is. It's the, the Yurubadala National Park extends uh, to the narrow strip and Apache National Park, but it goes pretty much all the way down through there. And again, just south of Maria Heads, uh, there's an area where they've established uh, the Binji Dreaming Track, which uh, yep. again, another Aboriginal heritage track. Uh, and that's that's a very interesting one too to follow. But the the coastlines, uh, as as you go down, it's changing dramatically all the time. You you pass uh, two big inland lakes, uh, Chiros and Coila, and uh, the one is barred, and the uh, Coila is barred, so that's easily enough. And uh, Chiros, you get in touch with the, the local so uh, rescue people. Uh, which is a volunteer organisation, so for probably a bit more than a gold coin donation, yeah, yeah. They, they, they'll take you across in their Zodiac. All right. Now, actually, just while we're talking about the the, 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 the water crossings and the bars, one of the things I know that I found with doing the Bibbleman track is that that actually breach the bars at least once a year just to stop inland flooding. With the the... the the, the lakes that are barred and the areas that are barred along the coast, are they ones that they tend to breach occasionally or they tend to leave them to nature? No, they will they will do that occasionally. Uh, if, if they start getting too full and stagnant, they'll, they'll bulldoze through the bar and let it through. But that, again, is not a, a long period. And, and a lot of them are even waitable, even when the bar is breached. Okay. Uh, probably the only one, only two that uh, change to impossible are Shoalhaven River and they yep. We, we can arrange boat transport or at the very worst situation, you can catch the local tra- local bus around to the other side. And the other one is Malakuta at the very end and there's a well-known boat service there if you can't walk across the bar. All right. So, 
Okay, so we're, we're heading out of um, uh, through Naruma, through Bermagui. Now, I think from memory, there's a lot of national parks around that area. So you're in national park area by that stage? or Yes. Uh, I mean, there's 12 national parks uh, dotted all along down the coast, and they all preserve different types of landscapes. So that, that, I think, is one of the main attractions. It's the diversity of landscape as you're going down the coast. You're doing... You're not just walking along a monotonous coastal area. It changes from there's long stretches of beautiful beaches, there's small tiny coves fringed with trees. In fact, there's 186 named beaches okay. uh, ranging from probably uh, 50 metres across to up to 20 kilometres long. So you've got this enormous variety of beaches. What's um what's the beach beach walking like? I um we did the Kangaroo Island Wilderness Trail uh, the, uh, about uh, fifteen months ago, and um, it was the softest sand I have ever walked <laughs> on my entire life. Uh, so you know I was travelling at the back and, and trying to walk in everyone else's footsteps. But I mean yeah, other other beaches you, you know you, you walk down towards the tide area and you've got firm compacted sand. Is it is it soft sand or hard sand or, or a mixture? Uh, well, they say the Eskimos have twenty words for snow, and <laughs> I think there should be twenty words for sand as well. Because you'll you'll soon learn to love the different types of sand. From the, you've got the finest sand in the world, and you've got very rough, corally, gravelly sand. Uh, for the most part, the walking is not as difficult as that. I know, I know the area you mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there, there are a few patches of soft sand, but mainly, again, if you stick to the sort of intertidal areas, it, it's it's very firm. It's reasonably walking. firm. Yeah, and and I think the greatest thing about beach walking is you walk along, you've got the sound of the surf and your thoughts. Yeah. And it's very easy to slip into that uh, zen zone of meditation. <laughs> I must admit, I do, uh, yeah, providing the weather is good and there's not a, a storm blowing, I do like <laughs> beach walking. Okay, so we're we're down past the, the uh, we're heading south now out of uh, Naruma and Bermagui. Uh, what's our next major town from there along? I'm just trying to think. Of, that's the bit of a gap in my my. Uh, okay, uh, well, from Bermagui, you have got a a bit of a gap between yep. towns, as you say. Uh, the next one is Tathra. Okay, yep, yep. And and that is a beautiful area. It's a, about a three day walk across it, and that one you would require you putting a pack on your back. So we're getting down the deep south now, and we're slipping out of the comfort walker zone. Yeah. But by this time, you've walked five hundred kilometres, and you're you'd be pretty fit. And you'd be up to the task. And so it's a three day walk and, and there are national park campgrounds. So you're not, don't need to worry about wild camping or anything like that. And for the moment, apart from a three kilometer stretch, it's, there are tracks that go all the way through. We're trying to, uh, have, we're having discussions with national parks at the moment about putting that, in a track over that track. missing three <laughs> kilometers. It's, it's, it's open bushland. So it's not, not, a tremendous issue, but it's certainly nicer to have a track there. Now, that's um, in that area you're talking about. Is that the the light to light walk? The, 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 the no, the, that's that's before the light to light. In fact, okay. we've we've had some discussions with uh, National Trust people down in Bermagui and the Bermagui Community Forum who want to put a a named walk in there, and we were thinking of calling that the Wharf to Wharf, but <laughs> because you walk from Bermagui Wharf, which is is historic fishing game fishing connections to yep. the old Tathra Wharf. Uh, but uh, the light to light follows after that. Uh, once you get through Eden uh, area, that's and that again is a walk that's going to have a lot of money put into it by the National Parks and Wildlife Service. So they're creating 
uh, an upmarket walk. They're going to build accommodation, yep. Bit, uh, yep. like uh, in Tasmania and that. Uh, so that all these things are happening all the time. The track gets, or the the walk becomes better and better as tracks along the way are improved or are added to. It's it's interesting within. I think this is a worldwide worldwide phenomenon, but particularly in Australia at the moment, a lot of the governments are putting money into walking trails. Tasmania is probably leading the way with the amount of money they're sinking into walking tracks because they realise how it's it's expensive to do, but it generates a lot of income. Yeah. And I think the other governments are following suit. You know, putting in just a campground here and there and some toilet facilities, upgrading the track itself, or just maintaining it makes a big difference to the number of people that use it. So. Um, yeah, and as you say, when you're joining a number of walks to create the Great South Coast Walk, it's a, it's benefiting the overall walk itself. Yeah. Um, all right, so we've we've gone through uh, Tarthra um, uh, uh, area and Marimbula area. Um, uh, we've now come on to Eden, where you're talking. We're saying that the 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 cape the the light to light walk is, uh, and we're now heading towards the Victorian border. We are, and now we're entering wilderness country. Once you get to Wanboyne, which is a little fish, fishing village on Lake Wanboyne, for the next three days, civilization ceases. This is a truly wilderness area as you cross uh, the Nagy uh, wilderness. For that, you need to camp out, uh, and that'll be a three or four day trip it's uh 60 kilometers it's yep. three hard days with a pack for it for easier days yeah but the, for me that's a jewel of the whole walk because you you really are alone without people being around you in fact they limit the number of people who can use that track on a daily basis so you're not, not going to come across crowds and you can really experience what wilderness is like so that's coming back to what you were saying earlier on in the interview that you know the, the fin- finishing off or the highlight is to finish off in the wilderness and by that stage your fitness levels reasonably good as well to be able to cope with that sort of conditions exactly and uh, you'll have a different perspective on life i would suspect <laughs> <laughs> okay and that that takes us into malakuta at the end of that yes um, all right um now I mean, I mean, you're saying that um, this is a, a, a series of, of linked trails all the way along. What's the, the quality of the trails like? Is it varied? The some are better maintained than others, or is it is it all reasonably good? It's it's all reasonable. As I said, there are a couple of sections where there is no track, but they're very short. That's about three or four kilometres out of six hundred and fifty kilometres. That's, so, that's pretty good. Uh, and the rest of it is uh, either highly maintained walking tracks that are maintained by National Parks and Wildlife Service. There are good fishermen's trails. Some parts you'll be using forestry trails. As you go through the urban areas, you, you may be walking on the footpath for a, a little while, but uh, all the tracks there are around headlands and that. They might be narrow, but uh, they, they're easily walked and they're well used. Uh, as I say, where, where there are a few problematic areas, our steering committee is sort of looking at ways of uh, improving those and that. And the one thing we really do need is working or is signage. I was just going to come to We don't that. have signage. <laughs> <laughs> and, but that involves sort of convincing uh, New South Wales tourism uh, people perhaps that this is a worthwhile endeavour and then getting funding or getting a grant from somewhere to actually produce the signage. Uh, but, the, I mean, the track, the walk exists. People are doing it. So 
it's something that is there that will be there and hopefully we'll be able to make it a, a much better and more accessible thing by this promotion. All right. Now, as far as um, um, resources for this are concerned, that you've got the website, uh, which, as I said, I'll put the link up in the show notes for people to find. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a GPS uh, download available on the, the website? Yes. The, ro- the route is on uh, – there are Google Maps which show the route on the website and and on those maps there are uh, tabs where you can see where accommodation is, where there are issues, where the water crossings are and all of that, so you can bring those up. But you can also download a GPS track of the entire walk uh, and uh, that'll make the whole thing a lot easier. So even if you don't see signage, uh, you have, have the route. And in any case with a coastal walk, if you keep the sea on one side and the land on the other, <laughs> you're not going to get lost. <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 talking to the people on the Bibbleman track, I talked to a, a couple of people that got turned around and ended up realising a day and a half later that they'd, come, they'd walk, been walking back the, the way they'd come. <laughs> a day and a half later, they realised, oh, hang on a sec, the sun's in the wrong spot. So, uh, yeah, as you say, if you've got the ocean on your left-hand side and you're walking south, you, you know you're heading in the right direction. <laughs> All right, now, what other resources are available? Is there, are there any guidebooks or any other notes that people can download? Uh, that's, that's pretty much it. What, if people really want to see what others' experiences are on the website, there are links to a few blogs that uh, individuals who've done the walk have, have, have made. So yep. they give insights, and, and they're quite useful information as well. But uh, that's one of the future projects for our steering committees to actually produce a proper guidebook because yep. uh, that's that's definitely something that you would need. But uh, the people who've walked it so far have uh, certainly done it without uh, that, that sort of resource. And uh, I think there are enough the topographic maps for the area, you would take a complete set of those as well uh, to be on the safe side. But uh, essentially, it's not that far from civilization that you have to worry about getting lost and things like that. Do you have a list of the maps that people need on the website at all? Uh, When when we bought them, we just bought them as a a bundle, a South Coast bundle. But uh, you can actually download them as PDFs too from the New South Wales uh, government mapping website. Okay, well, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's. I must admit, it, yeah, it's. it's I, I looked at maps a couple of years ago and it, and it was a struggle to find them anymore. They seem to be something that's disappearing from, from use with, you know, with GPS and everything else these days. People people aren't using maps as much as they used to do anymore. Yes. Or, uh, or, or the maps that are available are, are a fairly large scale and you, you don't often get the detail that you need. Well, quite often now people are just doing it with their uh, smartphones. They yeah. can download the, the, the maps from the New South Wales Government Department, put in a bit of tracking software and they're doing it that way so <laughs> yeah i think it's the way the way people are, rightly or wrongly it's the way people are heading just make sure you carry spare batteries oh yes yes definitely <laughs> okay so um that's pretty much track from way to go um is there anything else that people need to be aware of with this track at all, or with this walk at all or no uh probably what i haven't sort of mentioned i'm sort of uh, concentrated more on the geography of the track, yep. but uh, what what really is good about it is the fact that it uh, has such a diversity of landscape. I mean, you've got beaches, headlands, you've got numerous forest types as you go along there, uh, rivers, lakes, 
Uh, it just about has everything, and it's constantly changing. It's not as though you have big sections of one and then the other. You go through 12 national parks, you go through several other state reserves, you have at least 12 geological sites of interest along the way. The geology changes the whole way down. So it's just incredibly varied, and I think that's where it has a big advantage over a lot of other other tracks which tend to uh, sort of, once they're in forest, you're probably going to walk in forest for 100 kilometres or so. This, yep. this just doesn't happen with this one. And the other thing is the wildlife. I didn't appreciate that as much myself until two Americans who actually read my personal account of it came out and did the walk, and they were just blown away by the bird life. Uh, and we Australians take our bird life for granted. I think. Yeah, I think we. I think that we do. It's probably one thing that. Uh, yeah, I, I do like a lot of the American desert environments and a lot of the uh, the big forests they've got. But I think our bird life probably leaves leaves the US for dead. We you know we've got the parrot family. We've got just about everything and anything from from tiny to to the large eagles that are that are floating around as well. Mm. So. As you say, we, we tend not to think about it because it's just there, but it, it yeah. is pretty spectacular. And the other thing which uh, I was reminded of when I went down to uh, the coast just last weekend, whales. Yes, yes. Uh, you could walk down this this coast in the whale season, you'd be seeing them every day out there. It's just absolutely incredible to walk along a headland and see whales breaching. Well, that, that actually, that brings up a question I hadn't actually thought of. Is there a best time of the year to, to walk this track? To do this walk, sorry. It's actually a track that could be walked year-round. There's no real season for it. And I think, uh, for me, spring and autumn are probably the better times because as you're getting down south, it is is getting colder. The, yep. the last yep. people went through went through in winter and they had no problem. So it can be done at any time. It never gets too hot because you have that tempering uh, coastal climate. Uh, but spring, you've got the wildflowers uh, and then you've got in spring and uh, autumn, you've got the whale migrations as well. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's certainly an attraction. I must admit, I mean, you know, certainly the whales, I, I used to be into scuba diving and the other whale season around September, October each year was, uh, you know, you were getting, yeah, 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 if you're in a boat off the coast, you were seeing them or if you're walking on a headland, you'd, you'd see them mm-hmm. as well. So, I mean, that might be the thing that times people that you know, they want to want to get down south in particular at, at about that sort of timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you say, it's... Yeah, you know, it's with maybe the exception of midsummer. Um, Mid- midsummer because it's a coast, yeah. and lots of people come to the coast and just lie on the beaches, and you'll have to step over them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's normally not something you have to think of with hiking, but I think it's been, it's probably a valid point. Avoid avoid the high tourist season. Uh, that that said, a lot of the beaches are very isolated, and when you're walking down a twenty kilometer beach and you're the only pe- person on it, that's that's a special experience. All right. I suppose uh, um, as a final thing on the track itself, what's your favourite part of the walk? Do you have one? <laughs> I was thinking about that, and I thought that's that's like asking me who's my favourite grandchild because <laughs> they're all very different, and I love them all the same. But uh, for me, I think the the far south because it is the wilderness area. Yeah. It, yeah. It's probably not the most spectacular in terms of scenery, but you are away from civilization and and it feels very much that way so i would i would think that is it so build up to that one big experience all right and one final question to finish off um what walk is on your bucket list what's the next next big walk for you because you seem to looking at your website you've seemed to have done quite a lot of walking so 
Uh, yes, it's uh, uh, it's again. How big is your bucket? I keep reading about new walks all the time. Yeah. I just, just saw the other day that Georgia in the Caucasus is opening opening up the walking. But our next planned walk is we're going to Morocco to do some walking in the High Atlas Mountains. Okay. Uh, so really looking forward to that. All right, I might actually have to catch up with you after you've done that because that sounds sounds really interesting. Yeah. Okay, thanks very much for that. We've been talking to David Breeze from um, the Great South Coast Walk. Uh, and as I said earlier on, this is probably the, the greatest walk that you've never heard of. And I think it's... Um, um, it's one of the ones that I've been seriously looking at uh, in the next couple of years. And, and I think after talking to David, I think it will probably be my walk for 2020. Uh, 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 I think it's, uh, you know, I've been tossing up for, between a couple of walks, but uh, I like the sound of this one. So hopefully in about uh, 18 months' time, I can give you a first-hand experience. Thanks very much for that, David. Okay, thanks, Tim. It was really good to hear David talk about the Great South Coast Walk. I'd uh, spent a lot of time on the South Coast, particularly from uh, Jarvis Bay South, and had never never known. Uh, so it definitely is one of those um, great walks that most people uh, wouldn't know about. Um, but as he was talking, I really um, could track and, and see in my mind's eye uh, where he was and what he was talking about. So definitely something that we'll be doing uh, in the years to come. And uh, yeah, hopefully a few other people will will get out there and do this one too. I must admit I'm, I'm the same. I've spent much of my life um, uh, really, as, as Jill said, from uh, Jarvis Bay right down to the Victorian border. Uh, most of it's been on the, the beaches and in the, in the water and never really thought about walks at that stage. Um, so used to the the well-known walking tracks, the long-distance walking tracks that uh, everyone tends to know. Um, but as I said at the start of this walk, this is probably the, the Australia's greatest coastal walk that most people have ever heard of. As I mentioned in the uh, uh, earlier in the episode, uh, I'm looking for a long-distance walk to do in uh, 2020. Uh, and I must admit, I uh, had been looking at a number of other trails, but now I'll seriously throw this one into the mix. Uh, I do love walking along the coastal sections. Um, I think the landscape's really good, uh, and even even during the middle of winter in this part of the world, it's not that cold compared to, to inland uh, eastern Australia. So I think it's definitely a candidate for, for a couple of years' time. Okay, so we hope you've enjoyed this episode on the Great South Coast Walk. Uh, it's certainly been an eye-opener for me, and uh, I think, as I said, for a lot of you, most people um, are probably just aren't aware that, it, it, that the option or the possibility exists to do such a long walk along the New South Wales coastline into the Victoria. Uh, and I think this is, uh, as David said, more and more people are starting to realise it's there and it's starting to gain a bit of traction. So with luck, we'll see this as a... Uh, in the future as a, a fully um, advertised and signposted walk uh, sometime down the, down the future. In next week's episode, we're going to be going through and looking at eye care for hiking and the do's and don'ts of looking after one of the most important of our senses. So keep an eye out for that uh, in our upcoming episode. As always, this episode is available to listen through our website at www.australianhiker.com.au. 
through SoundCloud, through Stitcher Radio, through Spotify, and through iTunes. And if you have the chance, please go get through and give us a five-star rating on iTunes to help get the message out there. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.